Elementary music teacher friend, you love what you do, but you might feel unappreciated and, in fact, unseen some days. You may even feel like you're on a music teacher island and just want to connect with other music teachers who can relate to both your struggles and wins when it comes to teaching elementary music. I get you and understand completely the feelings you're having. That's why each and every week, the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast will provide you with solo and guest episodes that will help you realize you're not alone in your music teaching journey. Throughout each episode, my goal is for you to be able to walk away with actionable steps and ideas to help you feel like you're ready to take on the new week with whatever challenges may be thrown your way. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Well, hey there. I'm so excited to have you back today for another episode. Today's episode is with the amazing, amazing, amazing Katie Wonderly from Miss Wonderly Makes Music. I am so excited for you to listen into this episode because we talk about all things imposter syndrome, using technology to teach, social media, and teaching during a pandemic. Katie is so real and authentic with the words that she speaks in this conversation. She does not hold back and how she truly feels about those topics I just mentioned. How many times have you been scrolling through social media on Instagram or especially on Teachergram and you're just scrolling through and thinking you're doing a great job and bam, you see a bulletin board or you see a teacher post about a lesson they taught that went really well and maybe you tried that same lesson and it did not go as well for you or you see their perfectly curated feed or all these books they have and they're just doing, it seems like an incredible job and maybe they are but it stops you in your tracks. You think you're doing such a good job and you see these photos posted on social media and it makes you think and your mind starts, you know, playing tricks on you and the mindset stuff starts and you kind of feel stuck a little bit and like you're not doing as good a job as you thought you were doing. We talk about all that in this conversation, how social media can be a good thing, but it can also be kind of tricky and how teaching during a pandemic is straight up hard where you can have 500 students and you only have two kiddos show up to your virtual call. What do you do during those situations? How do you keep moving forward? How do you know what technology to use during this virtual teaching school year? This school year where you've been asked to teach in so many different teaching situations. And yes, I know it's February. And so by now you've, you know, tried all the things and you have your system down. But I truly believe this episode is going to help you with moving forward when it comes to mindset and imposter syndrome and feelings that will arise as an elementary music teacher. So if you are, for whatever reason, not familiar with who Katie is, I'm going to introduce her. And she's going to introduce herself at the very beginning of the episode as well. But Katie Wonderly is a fifth-year elementary music teacher making music in Oklahoma with 550 of her favorite young musicians. She graduated with a Bachelor of Music Education from Oklahoma City University in 2015. She's completed two summers of master's coursework in Kadai Pedagogy at the University of Oklahoma. She was recently named the Oklahoma Music Educators Association's Outstanding Young Music Educator of the Year and is the current Putnam City Schools District Teacher of the Year. 
Katie utilizes social media to connect with educators and community members around the world. She shares her journey as a music educator featuring favorite resources, classroom decor, organization tips, lesson ideas, technology tools, and more. Katie believes every classroom should be a place where creativity, community, and diversity are embraced and encouraged. She's passionate about teaching music by all people to all people, ensuring that every student leaves her room knowing their voice matters and that they are an essential part of the ensemble. So as you can see just from her bio, Katie is amazing. She has so many amazing ideas and she definitely keeps it real. So I cannot wait for you to listen to episode 139 with Katie Wonderly about using technology in teaching during a pandemic. So today on the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast, I am joined by someone who I have wanted on the podcast since the beginning of time, um, the amazing Katie Wonderly. And if you are the one person in the universe who is not following her or who has not heard of her, then you are in for a treat. So Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited. So excited to have you here. And one connection you and I have is Oklahoma Connection. And lived when I lived there, lived in, you know, Tulsa area and your Oklahoma City area. But I believe I told you during one of the, you know, many tornadoes you get that we would always watch the weather in Tulsa and say, well, Oklahoma City area gets hit worse. And then it comes here. And now I'm in Northwest Arkansas where it turns last. And so <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I grew up in Tulsa as well. So we always, it was like, I'm moving closer to them. Uh, that was not quite the best idea. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you and I did chat about that. I remember that. So tell the listeners who do not know you, which I'd be very surprised those listening that do not know you, but tell them a little bit about yourself, your teaching journey, and who you are as a person. So I am a fifth year elementary music teacher. I am teaching pre-K through fifth grade um, in Oklahoma City. And so um, when I'm not in school, I will even, I guess when I am in school, I'm a lover of all things creative and crafty and technology related. Pretty much my life is themed around the Wizard of Oz and rainbows that just kind of ever present <laughs> throughout all my life. Um, but I also grew up with a computer programmer dad. And so technology has been really huge for me throughout both my personal and teaching journey as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I am married to a computer guy. And so he is like our computer fix it fixer upper for all of my family. Um, I, I swear that's why they think I married him. But yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about all things music, but I am going to also pick your brain a little bit when it comes to social media and technology. So I want to start off by talking about social media because you do such a great job on Instagram, especially is where I see most of your stuff. And if you see Katie's feed, Miss Wonderly Makes Music, it is very, very colorful. So I want to kind of ask you that first. Is, is there a strategic reason behind that? Or is it just because you like color and wanted to be have a colorful feed? <laughs> I think it's a little bit of both. So I, at the very beginning, it was, it was very much based on what I was going to color my classroom. So I started my Instagram the summer before my first year of teaching was kind of in the middle of making those big like design decisions. Like what is your room going to look like? And so once I had decided on chalkboard and rainbow, it kind of translated into my Instagram, which then translated into my brand. It has kind of been the basis of everything that I've done from there on out. So my classroom has a lot of rainbow in it, which then means my feed also has a lot of rainbow in it. Um, but it's just kind of been 
where I, it started as my classroom and then has turned into my Instagram as well. Love it. Love it. So we can have a couple different conversations about social media. So let's start off by talking about social media and connecting with other teachers. What advice do you have around that? Because I see social media being good and I wouldn't say bad, but also can suck you down a rabbit hole, you know, and that can cause comparisonitis, imposter syndrome, and all the things, but it's also great for connecting with other teachers and getting ideas. So for you, what advice do you have for teachers wanting to connect with others on social media, but maybe they're a little bit hesitant about putting their own content out or don't know how to engage with others? Just any advice you have around that for teachers wanting to connect with other teachers? Definitely. I think that when I first started my Instagram, I really was just a place for me to dump the pretty things. I had all of this stuff I was doing for my classroom and I didn't want to overwhelm my friends and my family with all of it. So I decided to put all the pretty things on Instagram, but very much began to develop imposter syndrome. I thought that everyone was following me because things are pretty, but I was this first year, second year teacher really struggling with classroom management, really struggling to figure out what in the world I was going to teach in the first place. I just really felt like that I was not a good teacher and that people only followed me because the things looked pretty. Now I'm sure the pretty things catch your eye in the beginning. But I know now in reflection that there was depth behind that, there was meaning behind the things that I was doing, but I was not able to recognize it in the moment and was comparing myself to all of these other teachers and other people um, thinking that, oh, I can't wait to be like them. Having to step back and realize like these are 10, 20 year teachers, you are a first year teacher. And just because you're one of the more followed people on social media doesn't mean that you're not allowed to have the struggles and you're not allowed to not be perfect all the time because I'm not by any means. Mm -hmm. And like, I like to keep my feed pretty and I like to keep it engaging because that is what gets people to you in the first place. But yeah. I really quickly realized that I had a need to be real, not just mm -hmm. for the people who were following me, but for myself. Like I was not being, I didn't feel like my true authentic self. And so it took me a, a while to get there to admit that I didn't keep real lesson plans until my third year of teaching. Like these things that I, I didn't know how to say because I didn't think they were appropriate to say, but I quickly yeah. began to realize that the more that real I was and the more things that I posted, like for example, the, the most, one of the most engaged with posts that I've had this year was a picture of me sitting on my piano with my head resting on my hand with the mm. most exhausted face that just said, starting over, I don't remember exactly what it said. Basically, it was like starting over is tough. Mm -hmm. And it was one of my most engaged with posts because people related to that. They saw themselves yeah. in that. And it wasn't smiling and I wasn't posing. It was just exhausted. And I shared yeah. that in that moment. And so I began to realize that I think people are looking for reasons to be imperfect. And they're looking for, you know, they, they want it to know that it's okay. And so I really began to develop I mean, I still have the pretty things. I'm not going to lie. I love the pretty yeah. things, but I also want to balance it out with, with that reality of like, this stinks. <laughs> this, this year, especially more than ever, is just awful sometimes. And so I've struggled to post this year a little bit. I've noticed myself kind of that imposter syndrome coming back in to play where I would normally post sometimes two to three times a day. And I felt like my lessons aren't enough for what I'm doing is not pretty for Instagram or it doesn't translate well to social media. And so I've caught myself in those moments this year, even, yeah. you know, five years into it, he hesitant to post things, hesitant to share because I just don't know if it's appropriate or don't know if it's the most exciting thing in the world. And so yeah. really trying to just like let yourself be your authentic self. And sometimes that means 
you know, posting things that maybe you don't think are going to get engagement, but they're meaningful to you. And you'll be surprised at the things that people react to. I love that. I love that because I feel like Instagram when it first started, and no, I can't remember what year. I mean, it was a while ago, but it was about the perfect feed and about the, you know, every, what is it? Three squares need to look different and blah, blah, blah. And I still like to make my feed look pretty too, but not like, I'm not as stressed out about it now. It's just kind of, like you said, being authentic and real and people connect with that. They connect with a human being and they want to see realness. It doesn't mean you need to go out there and be like, oh, today was, and I've had posts like that. I think I posted one like that yesterday because it was like, oh my God, today was awful. But, um, but at the same time, the imposter syndrome, I think, sets in when, you know, maybe a new teacher or any teacher for that matter, especially during COVID is scrolling through and they just see the classroom decorated super nicely or someone's virtually teaching and they have all of it. To, it looks like they have everything together or right. the nicest bulletin boards. And they're like, wait, I don't have that. I just started. How do they do that? Oh, my classroom's not good enough. I'm not good enough. And they go down this rabbit hole of thinking of I'm not keeping up or doing as good as you know, these teachers over here who all you know is through screen. And so I think teachers listening to this, you need to know that when you see an Instagram feed that is sharing content, it's because they put that out into the world for you to see to help you. It's not to be like, oh, look at me, look at my bulletin board and look at my lesson plans. And like, it's look at my lesson plans because I want to help you with this. Right. I mean, I feel like, gosh, the imposter syndrome thing, I just really wish you know, you could snap your fingers and that goes away because I struggled with that for years. When I was in the classroom, it was just like so real. Like, oh my, I started in a classroom with no nothing. And so looking at these other teachers when I'd go for, for professional development and things and being like, um, okay, well, I don't have any of this, so I'm not good enough. It is so real and it's so hard. And so on social media, there is a, mixture of I want people to know me but I don't want them to know all of me because you got to keep some things you know to yourself yes. you know <laughs> so there's the oversharing and then there's not sharing enough and it's about finding that balance and what you're comfortable with so what are ways you've gotten and this isn't even in anything we were going to talk about but mm -hmm. you kind of said something that I wanted to ask about how have you kind of gotten past those feelings of imposter syndrome when you you know you think you're having an amazing day but then maybe you see someone post a lesson or a song that they did an activity with that you're like, well, why didn't I think of that? Okay. I'm not, I'm not doing a good enough job. How do you move past those feelings? It's really hard. And I honestly thought that this year that I had like really moved past it. You know, I'll be quite honest. This year has been like a really, as, as much as 2020 has really stunk. I've gotten some of the biggest accolades of my career so mm -hmm. far this year. And it had really built up my confidence. You know, you get those yeah. recognition and you get those things and you think, okay, you know, no, I deserve this. I got this, you know, I can do it. And then this year hit <laughs> fall 2020 yeah. and all of a sudden I was kind of brought back down. And so mm. I, you know, might be teacher of the year, but I still feel like my lessons aren't worthy of, you know, of posting on social media and I might be teacher of the year, but you know, I'm not doing the same thing that this teacher over here is doing, but I have to remind myself that my situation is so much different than anybody else's position. You know, I'm yeah. teaching asynchronous right now. And so I don't get that one-on-one -on -one connection with my mm -hmm. students every day. So they're not going to progress as far. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm only giving students an assignment every other week. So my, you know, first graders don't even know what Todd TT is yet because yeah. normally we would introduce it in October, but we've barely even gotten past beat versus rhythm. Right. And so I have to remind myself that, you know, I look at 
And I think for me, it's looking at social media, but it's also looking at like previous lesson plans. And so yeah, like trying true. to plan for what's going on this year, it's just totally different. And mm -hmm. so having to just like step back and like realize and make myself really walk through those things that like this year is different. My experiences are different than this teacher over here and just really trying to be proud and own what I have done in with the, you know, time and space that I've been given. Mm -hmm. Love that. That's so good. Oh, I love how you said too, comparing yourself to basically your previous teacher self in like a non-pandemic yes. year. <laughs> and it's so true. Like I never thought about it that way, but that, gosh, that can cause feelings of imposter syndrome when you're like, I just want to teach that way again. I just want to teach my kids. So speaking of your students, are there ways you connect with them on social media or do you kind of set some boundaries there? How do you, how do you manage that? So I had not intended to create my social media to engage with students. I definitely mm -hmm. built it in a way that I knew that eventually they would find me because it was public and my students are on social media. It's not something that I post my handle in my classroom or on the end of assignments and like, yeah. follow me. But I just knew that eventually they would find me. And it was actually really interesting because I've actually communicated more with my students via social media this year than ever before. Like I had a fourth grade mm -hmm. student reach out to me through his older brother, who was one of my former students, Instagram, because he couldn't get into our specials Google Classroom. <laughs> and so he reached out to me because until you get into that Google Classroom, you can't communicate directly student to teacher. Yeah. And so he reached out through his big brother's Instagram so he could ask me how to get into his Google Classroom. And I was able to record a little video and like show him Aww. how to do it and get them in there. Um, but I think that students were never just trying to find ways to connect with their teachers, especially now that we've been virtual for so long. And so, um, you know, I have students now that'll, or former students even that'll like comment on things and I keep it all pretty brief. I'm not having these like lengthy conversations with students, but it's really great to know and for them to know that I'm here mm -hmm. and that, you know, they do have a way to reach me if things, you know, if they have questions or whatever, and it's not always our learning platforms aren't necessarily built for that easy, teacher to student yeah. communication. And sometimes you just need that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They miss you. They miss, you oh, know, yeah. miss you more than you thought they would probably, <laughs> which is good to, good to know. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So with technology, I find it, and I'm just going to be real with you, girl. I find it funny that you say that, well, your dad is technology person, but you say that you feel like you struggled a bit with technology, like during the pandemic and like shifting over because I feel like that you were just using technology to teach, right? It was like all of a sudden, like, this is all you can do. So um, was it a struggle for you at first to transition to just teaching virtually? And how, what are ways that you did that without overwhelming yourself? So I kind of think of it in like two clumps. So there was like the spring and then there's now. So in the spring, it was a whole lot different. Yeah. Um, I went a little crazy. So we, in Oklahoma, we, that very first week that everything was shut down, um, Oklahoma extended our spring break by two weeks. And so we had three weeks where there was no instruction happening, no guidance, no plans for the future. We were just sitting for three weeks and I could not sit for three weeks. I knew that I wanted to get music to my students and I knew that I needed to find a way to do it. But at this point, our school didn't have an online learning platform. We didn't have an all school communication system besides the like all call home device. I had no way to directly reach my students or their parents. Mm -hmm. But I knew a lot of my families had originally or not average, I had begun to start noticing my social media and following along. I had some, a couple of posts that went viral that started to gain more 
attention. And so my school community started to be involved as well. Um, and I was like, well, the only way that I can reach them is social media. And so I ended up hosting weekly Facebook live music classes. Now, because they were public, there was a whole lot of stuff that I had to get together in the beginning regarding copyright because teaching anything music right now is a little bit crazy with copyright, but I was just shocked at how many publishers I had. Um, so Timbaland wrote a book and I reached out to his recording studio and they gave me permission to use his recording of it in these online live music classes. Like all these people were just so so willing to just like, because at that point, nobody really knew what was happening. And so all the book publishers and all the music publishers were like, sure, go for it, use it. (laughs) Um, and so I ended up hosting eight live music classes. Well, they started out live and then I ended up pre-recording them and streaming them live because I realized that yeah. was much better for my sanity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can edit. But, and so I had originally done it for my students, but what I just didn't realize that was because I was posting it on such a public format that it would reach like six continents, 10 countries, 30 states. Like it was literally all over the world. This one really makes me sick at home. And that was wild. It was fun and it was exciting, but I knew that it going into the fall, that that was just not going to be able to happen. Right. So in the spring, Mm -hmm. I didn't have to assess students. We were just responsible for sending out content for them to do, but there was no assessment. There were no report cards for quarter four. There was just like, give them things to do. And so Mm -hmm. in the fall, I really knew that I had to put more of a focus on my students, on assessment, and on the other teachers in my building who were many of them very new to this and trying to figure out how to manage all the technology as well. So this fall, I moved to, all of our stuff is asynchronous. Mm -hmm. And so I moved to pre-recording all of my videos um, on my phone, would edit them together in iMovie. And I usually had anywhere from 12 to 20 minute lessons, depending on the content or what we were doing. Um, And then would post them in our learning platforms, our pre-K through second graders are in Seesaw and our third through fifth graders are in Google Classroom, which mm-hmm. I originally came into it thinking that Seesaw was just this like giant beast of a thing because it was just very unfamiliar to me and yeah. I was very just like could not figure it out and it was very frustrating. A lot of that came from the fact too that we as specialist teachers, our district hadn't really figured out what they were going to do with <laughs> us. So we yeah. were responsible for figuring that out, Uh, um, which was a whole, was just so much, so much fun. Um, But that was also where a lot of the stress was, as we were trying to build the system while figuring out the system, Mm -hmm. it was a thing. But I ended up realizing that Seesaw has actually been one of my favorite things because I've got pre-K through second graders that sing to me every week. I can hear them recording rhythms. If they, you know, tap that microphone tool, I can hear them sing while they're touching things on the board. Like it's just has been so user-friendly and so good for me to be able to hear and see students. I found that a lot more difficult in Google Classroom with my older students. Um, So I ended up turning to Nearpod Mm -hmm. and so used Nearpod. And at first they could, you know, there was a drawing tool and they could do little activities. And I found that for them, it was great because I could break up that 20 minute lesson and do like a five minute clip and then an assessment and another five minute clip with a different assessment. And recently, Nearpod has finally added voice recording. So this week, for the very first time, I got to hear my third through fifth graders um, reading rhythms to me, which was just awesome. And so it's been, um, it's been crazy. You know, we had some in-person days there in the middle too. So it's been (laughs) quite the wild ride, but um, definitely putting more focus on just trying to do whatever is best for my students at that time. I did the big crazy thing in the spring, but now it's kind of toned down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So what, when you record lessons, 
what do you have a system down for that is it one day where you kind of batch record a bunch of lessons like for upcoming weeks or do you just record like one week of lessons at a time or does it just depend uh, mostly it's batch recording. So I started off like the very first week trying to keep it simple. I did one lesson for K through two and one for three through five. So it was like our beginning first day of school mm -hmm. situation. And so that was much easier And then every week I would add just like a little bit more. And so the next week I had already pre-recorded a bunch of stories from the spring when I did the at home stuff. And so I used the pre-recorded stories, but then recorded new lessons for kinder first, second, third, and then bumped fourth and fifth together. And mm -hmm. so basically I would sit down and as I was writing my lesson plan, I was also kind of creating a shot list, if you will, of like right. all of the things that I needed to record. And so then one day I would just like block out the whole day. So that way I'm wearing the same outfit because I get very particular about that. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know that I wear, you know, new clothes every day. <laughs> but I wanted it, I wanted them to feel like it was all this one moment yep. that we were there together. Yeah. So I would just like go down the checklist and I would record. I find that it's easier for me to record in smaller groups than to try to, you know, cause I'm very much a perfectionist and, and that person that will try to record a 20 minute video and restart it 20 times. So I found if I did shorter clips that I was much more manageable and I was able to kind of like allow myself to stumble through things and not have to start over um, and get it all done. And so I would do that all about in one day and then would spend a couple of days editing it together and setting it up in their lesson and then would release it. Mm -hmm. I love that. One thing I know you've heard and I've heard is just the overwhelm when it comes to technology. And one thing I've advised teachers is to keep it simple. Like I think that, you know, going back to the um, imposter syndrome is I feel like that's happened with technology as well is everyone let's be honest except for people who are super technological how do you say that you know savvy at technology i'll say it that way um but besides those people it a lot of like you said even seesaw and other platforms are brand new for not they're not those platforms are brand new but brand new to teachers learning how to use them um in a new way and what i've seen with music teachers I've worked with is they'll be using something and then go, Oh, there's that too. Oh, there's that too. Oh. And they get stuck on all the different things they could do instead of just focusing on sticking with one or two things and just going with that. Have you seen that too? And is that something common, like a common theme you've seen come up? <laughs> Absolutely. So that was the, you just brought back all of these memories, of course, so like that very first week when we, you know, we had two weeks to prepare for our first week of virtual learning by the time teachers reported. And so we were trying to build the system and going over all of the different ways that we could do it. We could do it this way, we could do it that way, but maybe this way would be better, but maybe this. And finally, in the exact same way, our STEM teacher was like, we just need to pick one way and just do it. I know that we want to do what's best yeah. for students, but what's best is that you're going to pick one way and do the best that you can in that yeah. way. And if you find something, like you can change it. So like for me, my first couple of weeks, I didn't use Nearpod with my older kids. I had just made the videos and we did an assignment in Google Classroom, mm -hmm. but I found, oh, there's this one thing. What if I just change it a little bit? And so yeah. I found myself that it's, it had been easy for me to make those small changes. Like I pick one way and I go, mm -hmm. and then I might change it just a little bit, but I'm not trying to overhaul the whole system every week. Mm -hmm. I love that because you're editing as you go or figuring it out as you go. You didn't know Absolutely. how to do everything right away, but like you said, getting in there and doing it, then you figure out. It's the same way with teaching in a classroom. You don't just walk in. I didn't, you know, your first year, your very first day of teaching and go, oh, I know exactly what to do all day today. Everything's going to go perfectly. I have my degree in my hand. No, it's a learning process. And so just like with virtual teaching, I feel like that's definitely 
the same as well in a different way. But with technology, you said you record from your iPhone. And so what I would love to hear any simple hacks you have around recording a video or audio and how do you keep it simple? And you do it from your living room, right? Like, do you have, don't you have like a little music corner set up or has that changed? <laughs> it's changed a little bit. So the spring, it was all from my living room. Um, in the fall, I have been primarily teaching for my classroom, but have kind of okay. settled into my home office for the holiday season, if you will. But, um, okay. um, even from my classroom, it was kind of the same situation. I always have a, um, iPhone tripod that I purchased from Amazon that has been a lifesaver through it all. And so I can just put my iPhone on that tripod and hit record and go. Um, I got a little picky with sound. And so there's lots of things you can do depending on how fancy you want to go. I got one of these, actually I have it right here because I'm using it, a blue microphone um, that I have an iPhone adapter with as well. And so I was able to plug it straight into my phone. And what I love about that is there's no programming that you have to install, just an adapter. And so you can add can make it as fancy as you want, right? You can get a stand with a ring light if you want to improve the lighting. Um, and so slowly but surely over the summer into the fall, my <laughs> um, repertoire, if you will, of, of technology things has been um, increasing. But, you know, I have the fancy candy camera. I have the fancy editing system, but I quickly realized that for school, that it just wasn't going to work. I couldn't import all of my files into Final Cut Pro because it would take up three computers to edit all the things that I needed. So I really found that to improve my sanity and, you know, save everything that it was just, you know, recorded on your phone. It's a small quality file, but it's enough that the students will still see it and know what to do. And actually iPhones are way fancier than some cameras are these mm -hmm. days anyway. True. So um, for me, it was just real easy to just record everything on my iPhone, airdrop it to my computer, and then just edit it all together quickly in iMovie when I was done. Perfect. Perfect. That's great advice. When, well, the pandemic's been going on a while, and obviously we are all aware of that. Um, you're like, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> so <laughs> have you experienced burnout just with missing, we talked about that a little bit already, with just teachers missing how things used to be, missing just getting kids in their classroom and teaching music. And so it can cause burnout and it can cause feelings of just wanting this to be over with and things like that. Of course, we all ready for put 2020 behind us, put the pandemic behind us eventually. So when it comes to experiencing burnout, what are ways that you have taken care of you or combated those feelings of burnout that you might be feeling? Yeah, so they... I feel like my burnout has kind of, I'm a, I'm a person that lives a very, what I consider polar life in that, like I either do things 0% or 300% and my emotions are very much the same way. So like I either have a really, really great day or really, really terrible day. And that's just kind of the way that my emotions especially have been heightened during this crazy time. And I am found that my burnout at the beginning of the year, we were just so busy getting ready to go virtual that I just like really didn't have time to feel anything. It was just like go mode. We just had to get it done and do what we could to get work with students. And so I just went. And so from August really until October, it was just constantly going, going, going. And then of course, as soon as we got finally settled in and had figured it all out, they're like, hey, guess what? We're going back in person. So then we went back in person and did all of that. And I really, the burnout for me hit when we went. So we went in person for three weeks and then we went back to virtual. And that very first Monday, I, I, which was now the week, it was the week before Thanksgiving break. And so that very first Monday, I went back to said, oh, familiar. Like, I didn't expect. 
I just knew like, okay, well, we're back to August. It's fine. Like I know what to do. We have a system. I'm going to get it done. And sitting in an empty room that had just been filled with students the week before, it just felt very different. And I was out, it just like all hit in one moment. I was sad. I was frustrated, just like function in that moment. So I spent the rest of the day there and promptly decided that, you know, I would be working from home the rest of the week. I just, yeah. being in that classroom was just not, I wanted to be in that moment and luckily the district had given us that freedom to be either in the classroom or at home during the virtual time. So for me, it was just kind of stepping out of the classroom and kind of going back to home space and really focusing on what I could do in that moment. Now, when it's not school related or when I'm trying to step yeah. away from school, um, it looks a little bit different now. Right now it's Hallmark movies and warm blankets. In the spring <laughs> and the summer, it was going to the lake and uh, sitting in my car because we couldn't be out in public with anybody. So I'd sit in the back of my car and just read books and listen to the water go and feel the breeze and mm-hmm. it, getting out into the nature um, to just kind of from all of it. And so um, I have found for me that it's easier way just because I know that after a certain time of day, like, I'm not logging into learning systems. I'm not doing things. Whereas I feel like in normal times, <laughs> if you will, that I would, yeah. you know, stay at school until all hours of the evening or whatever. But now custodians have to be there, you know, have time and it's all, there's more of a structure to when we're allowed to be certain places. And so it has been easier for me to step away from the work part of it, but the emotions have been the harder part to escape for sure. Yeah. So teachers that are still struggling right now with those emotions and feeling overwhelmed and just tired of like, you you know, the roller coaster of you're in person, now you're virtual, now you're asynchronous, now you're in, or on a cart and all the other teaching situations they're dealing with. Yes. It is hard to keep a positive mindset and just be like, oh, sure. Okay. I'm totally ready. Let's go. (laughs) So what are ways that if they do find out, you know, tomorrow that they're switching a teaching situation again? How do you just wake up and show up and teach with however you're being told to teach with a positive mindset when things are just so hard? It, it is very difficult to do. And I consider myself a person that typically lives life with a glass 100% full. I really see and everything. And that's just my natural sense. But even the days for me that have been incredibly tough to teach. And so I think for me, it's about like the little joys. So finding that kind of puts a smile on your face and really, you know, kind of doing that for that moment. So like in the moments that I'm really frustrated with technology or frustrated with the situation, you know, it's mm-hmm. getting something to my precious kindergartners, sing me hello songs, or it's the grader who commented about how she really loves the nutcracker. And so all of these, like finding for me, it's, it's, and so I, you know, finding whatever ways I can to still connect with them or, you know, hear their feedback and get those things from them um, has given me a sense of normalcy again. And that's been harder to find, I feel like, this time around, especially as we get near closer to winter break. And, you know, students are just not engaging in the same way that they were even in August. We were in person for a second. We came back to virtual and my numbers are low Mm -hmm. as of have about a hundred fifth graders and I think eight of them have completed an activity that they were supposed to do. And so it's just, you know, finding new ways and that, and that is so devastating. Yeah. Um, it's been really weighing tough on me feeling like, well, you know, I'm not doing enough to engage, not doing this. Um, but 
try, I try to look at it from the other perspective, like, well, look at these eight students, like, look at how much they're progressing. And there is only so much that you can, the, the computer to get your students to participate, do what you can, you know, reach out to parents, reach out to teachers, to their classroom teachers, figure out ways, these assignments that maybe will engage them more, but also understand that there is only so much that you can. And so I try to focus more on the number and the students who have done the thing versus the ones that have not. And so looking at the responses and looking at the things that they're doing and the joy that they're finding in music and realizing that, you know, if the other students would just do their work, find the joy too. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> trying to focus on the ones that are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, that is such a good perspective to have because I know that has to be so hard to know that you would you know, typically have a classroom full of fifth graders enjoying music, creating music together. And fifth grade is such a fun year in music, you know, you can do so much with them. So when you have just a few students showing up or turning in work, you can just feel defeated. But like you said, oh, show yeah. up for those kids who are showing up because a lot of it is out of your control, unfortunately. And it's just, uh, it's all just so tough. It's just, there's no other word for it. So I've loved this conversation. And before you go, do you have any other advice or words of encouragement for teachers listening that maybe we talked about or didn't talk about today? I really like what you just said. And it just was like, show up for the ones that are showing up. So I think it's really easy for us to think that we're not doing enough or to think that it's not worth it because only this many people are, are doing it. But for those kids that are doing it, you might be everything to them. Yes. And so I see, you know, I notice the one student that comes back every single week and essentially concert for every one of her music lessons, loves it so much. And for me, that's enough. If one person decides that they wanna pursue music or want to do music or I love music and it brings them joy in this time, it's enough for me. Mm -hmm. Would I rather have 600 students doing it? Absolutely. But this time is so different and there are o there's only so much that you can do. And so just being there for the students that show up, I think is so important. So good. So, so good. Well, Katie, let everybody know where they can connect with you online after this conversation. I know that there's going to be so many teachers wanting to, you know, ask you questions or just to show up and find you online somewhere. <laughs> So I'm primarily on Instagram with and Facebook as well under Miss Wonderly Makes Music. I'm also um, from the spring um, that I recorded for my at-home music lessons uploaded to YouTube. But you can find all of that information on my website, www.misswonderlymusic.com. Awesome. And I'll include all that in the show notes. Thank you so Perfect. much for coming on the podcast. I've loved having you. I've loved this conversation. It's so good. And thank you for being so real and vulnerable. And, you know, it's just such a breath of fresh air to just hear your perspective and to know that you're, you know, teachers listening, you're not alone in the struggles you're facing this year and that everybody's feeling it. <laughs> so thank you for being absolutely. So yeah. Well, hey there, thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook Group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today. 
Day, as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there, have an amazing week, and I will see you soon.